Thank you so much. Let us, let us say a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, I came out from my house and uh, rushed in, and, uh, and then my wife shouted after me and said, What would you like to put on? You're not putting on any ropes or anything else? I said, No. But I put on this. I don't know what, what you call it in English. And uh, I shout to my wife, because I'm going to the bang. <laughs> so I hope that fits. <laughs> <laughs> then I start driving and start uh, snowflakes coming down. God give me a picture. Remind me. I think it's time like 2008 or 9. I couldn't remember exactly, but that was the time I found the Bishop Dawn uh, license, two priests and two deacons in Abbasford. I'm not sure who else were there. Okay. And uh, it's a slow storm. It's a slow storm. And uh, my parents actually you know, book a, a big bus, and then we have about 40 to 50 people coming. And so we arrive up, so we're so happy and joyful. Even slowed on, nothing can stop us. Nothing can stop us. And that is, that's the beginning of Alec. That's the beginning of, and I'm sure that is the beginning what God is going to grant you gifts and peace and join the Alec. And then I came here, and then Jack said to me, oh, Bishop Stephen, you can have three hours of preaching. <laughs> now, I'm not sure. <laughs> Does he know what he said? <laughs> because from my side, I'm still thinking, is it three hours Canadian? <laughs> or three hours Chinese? <laughs> uh, you might be surprised, three hours Nigerian. I will tell you more about that later. Well, welcome, we are brothers and sisters, into the Diocese of Anchor Network in Canada. Not just our diocese, but also the province of Anchor Church in North America. There is no doubt that in baptism, we are already one in Christ, being part of the body of Christ in God's salvation. But more than that, now we are also part of the Anglican Communion, belong to GAFCON, and belong to the Global South Anglican Fellowship. We belong to the Global Anglican Church in Orthodox faith, upholding God's words as supreme authority in the Gospel of Salvation, and identifying ourselves with the Apostolic Church from New Testament onwards. Therefore, in Ecclesia words, we belong to the one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Today, in the beginning of the Epistle to the Philippians, Apostle Paul greets those brothers and sisters in Philippi 
And I paraphrase Paul's words for our occasions as followings. Ethnic bishop, clergy, and lay servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Rhea Langley with the pastor and lay leaders. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank our God in all our remembrance of you, always in every prayer of ours for you, all making our prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he could begin a good work in your will, bring it to the completion as the day of Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever we have come through in our past, we are asked to look forward with boldness in faith, love, and hope. St. Paul encourages us I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened by those who oppose you. Being locked up in prison and still living in uncertainty of his future, St. Paul wrote to the Philippians, not in self-pity or self-victimized mood, but full of joy and positive outlook on life, as shown in his words of encouragement to the believers in facing their challenges. He wrote, not to be afraid by those who oppose you, or in anti Wright's translation, not letting your opponents imitate you. Sorry, I mean, intimidate you. Intimidate you, sorry. Truly, as a Christian and a Christian community, have you experienced intimidation from the devil, his oppression and persecution? For myself, I hold fast what St. Paul said to me, not to be afraid by those who oppose you, and not letting your opponents intimidate you. Paul did not rule out the possibility that we will encounter the same kind of oppression that fell upon him. Every generation of Christians has to face the same kind of oppression, though in different forms. The only key is whether we are willing to take up the cross and follow Jesus. In doing so, we will find that we are in the company of all faithful Christians throughout all generations. Over here, Paul exhorts us in the face of opposition, 
we need to live out three aspects of life witnesses. Namely, first, integrity of faith. Second, unity of fellowship. And third, suffering for Christ. First, integrity of faith. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Again, in anti Wright's words, the one thing I would stress is this. Your public behavior must match up to the gospel of the king. In Paul's teaching, God's calling on us is to live out the faith to witness Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of the world. Living in the extreme secularization of Western Canada, we find that many people in this city do not know Jesus and do not see they need Jesus. Christianity in the West has now become a minority religion, like it or not. And Christians only caught on, um, sorry, and, and Christians are being marginalized. In the beginning of COVID 19, the Vancouver city government only called on my church once to provide services to our surrounding neighborhood. For the rest of the two and a half years, we were not being connected or consulted. In fact, when the city declared what were considered essential services for the community, churches like the Christian worship were taken as lawn essential, meaning that church need not be functioning, therefore not necessarily need to exist in a national emergency. Church in society is secondary in function, not primary in essence. However, even though being taken as minority in numbers or seen as insignificant in socioeconomic function, we have to remember who we are before God and our calling mandate to this world. We are called by God to be the ambassador of Christ in the lost world. We are asked to witness Christ in this city, not hiding ourselves in a ghetto. Therefore, it is important, first of all, to live out our life in the public arena beyond reproach. Christians must be known as honest, reliable, trustworthy, and good neighbors. Even in situations when people take advantage of us, accuse or even attack us. We must not be intimidated by retreating into the private songs where we hide from the worldly challenges. We are called to be light and sought for Christ in the world. Therefore, there are two folds of the calling. On the one hand, we are called to live as a good citizen 
in an earthly state, responsible, trustworthy, and reliable. On the other hand, we are also called to live as godly citizens of the heavenly kingdom to which we ultimately belong in love, faith, and hope. We trust that God is in reign over both kingdoms, as St. Augustine said, of this in two cities. Therefore, we have to bear in mind that we are called to be good citizens of both the earthly state and heavenly state. And of course, not overlooking the possible conflict of core values in, in between the two kingdoms. Bearing the same yoke of calling to a cross-cultural ministry within the Greco-Roman context, the Apostle Paul attempted to develop a Christian ethics from the gospel of Jesus Christ for God's new community on earth. St. Paul declares the most profound forthright statement of social ethics in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. This statement of belief from the Gospel of Jesus Christ, known as the Magna Carta of New Humanity, sets forth our relationship in Jesus Christ, in which Christians, through baptism, not only have been united with Christ and clothed with Christ, but also have entered into a new relationship of oneness with one another. The visible minority of Christians in St. Paul times brought forth revolutionary changes in human relationships in the realms of cultural mandate, neither Jew or Greek, social mandate, neither slave nor free, and sexual mandate, neither male or female. This is what I see how St. Paul lived out the integrity of faith faithfully in his times. Second, unity in faith. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Right here, St. Paul exhorted the Philippians about the importance of unity in a Christian community. They must be one in spirit and intent, fighting side by side for the preservation of the faith brought about by the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul said the same message, that the body is a unit, though it is made of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. It is with Christ. The mark of unity is to reflect the reign of the Christ over his body, without unity. The outsider cannot see the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in rain. One time, someone made an interesting illustration of his thinking about unity. To keep the church in unity is more or, more or less like 
rollers rolling a dragon boat in context. He shared with us, if you are roller, every roller in a dragon boat needs to be absolutely observed the agreed rules of how to roll, and at the same time, keep perfectly together with the drummer, who is fully responsible for regulating the speed by beating the drum. If everybody does the right thing, the navigator then can direct the boat to the final destination by his steering. I apply this analogy to the unity of the church. I see the levigator is the Holy Spirit, the drummer is the leaders of the church, and the rowers are every parishioner, our brothers and sisters. If we row collaboratively and row in one heart with the same speed and same direction for the purpose of winning the race for Christ, we will be able to build up unity in the church. Christ can then steer the church according to his will of mission. However, as seen in church history, Christians, leaders in particular, often fail to observe the teaching of unity in the body of Christ. Divisions often appear in many churches very often due to personality conflicts or inside egoism or different ways of doing things. How can we exercise unity within diversity and diversity within unity? How can we build up discipline and put unity as our first priority? Here's St. Augustine, famous saying comes to my mind in essentials, Unity, in non-essential, liberty, in all things, charity. St. Augustine made clear the right order of these three elements. He never said, in essential, liberty, in non-essential, unity, in some things, charity. Rather, the Augustinian order demands our obedience to the word of God and their mutual submission to one another in the body of Christ. Remember, our unity of faith is grounded in the unity of Trinitarian God, revealed in the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Third and the last, suffering for Christ. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle, you show I had, and now hear that I still have. Verses 29 30. Paul advocated for and challenged us to suffer for Christ. Paul did not speak from an offshore position, asking others to take up the cross but he himself stayed away in the comfortable songs. No, Paul made it clear that he suffered for Christ and he was still suffering for him as he was right now imprisoned 
and was going to die for the gospel at Rome. But Paul did not see his imprisonment shameful and feel self-depleted. In contrast, he was proud of himself to enter into Christ's suffering, in which he found himself drawn closer and closer to Christ. As Jesus, Jesus Christ said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If we understand the gospel from a pleasure-seeking worldview, or for consumerism, meaning money I pay, something I take as a consumer, I will never understand why Paul challenged us to suffer for Christ. If we understand the gospels merely from gaining the blessing from God without holding our solidarity with Christ in his mission, we would never take up the cross for Christ. Suffering is a flip side of the same corn, whereas the other side is God's gifts of blessings. Therefore, blessing and sufferings go together. One enrich the other and vice versa. This applies to the marriage vow we just hear about uh, Bishop Dan said, where we say to take you as my wife for better and for worse for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health. Blessings and sufferings go hand in hand, side by side. In this understanding, suffering for Christ is therefore God's gracious gift to us, for which we should be thankful. As Paul said, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. Now I'll come to my conclusion now. As you may know that, Two weeks ago, about two weeks ago, the Church of England voted in favor of blessing same-sex union. Sadly, we, I see that um, the Canterbury in, in, in England um, well be said, you know, they only give uh, the blessing to the same-sex, not to order or change any canon of marriage between a man and a woman. Well, I heard the same version in 1998 in the Diocese of New Westminster, and later on in Jerusalem of Angels of Canada. But now, they repeat the same versions. And uh, as far as I know, there are 
Numerous dioceses already in Canada, SOC, already changed their canon of marriage and authorized same-sex marriages. What we have gone through is now repeated in the Church of England and a stormy range will come to the global Anglican communion. We are facing another time in church reformation. We are called to stand together and to stand firm in the word of God and be in unity in Christ as the apostolic church in the New Testament shown. This is the spirit of the English Reformation 16th century led by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, along with his teams, Hugh Lantimer, Nicholas Ridley, Richard Hooker, William Tyndale, and a lot of names. This is the time God called us together to fight for his gospel and to uphold the supreme authority of the word and the apostolic church in New Testament. Amen.